and welcome to Rainy Day Diaries, an imperfect podcast that will dive headfirst into how you can thrive in your creative life and business, even if you struggle with mental wellness. I am your host, Jennifer Lynn, and as a longtime struggler of anxiety and depression myself, I hope this podcast will help you realize that you could still get stuff done when you deal with all these crazy things on a daily basis, that you're not alone, and that falling down does not mean you won't get back up again. I thank you so much for listening, and as always, if you have any suggestions or questions or topics you'd love to hear about, please email me at jenniferlynn at gmail.com. Thanks. Enjoy the show. So on this episode of Rainy Day Diaries, I am interviewing Vanessa Brantley-Newton, who I am so excited to interview because before I was even friends with her, I had her books and I loved her art and it's so cool that I'm friends with her now and you're going to love this interview. And so I'd love for you to continue interviewing your, interviewing, (laughs) introducing yourself, Vanessa, and then tell people what you wanted to be growing up and what are you actually doing now? Absolutely. So again, my name is Vanessa Brantley Newton, and uh, I am a illustrator, not just of children's books, but I illustrate greeting cards. I do all kinds of work, commission work at times, uh, work for magazines, Boston Globe, uh, sometimes New York Times. Uh, But uh, I am living my dream. And ever since I was three years old, I knew that I wanted to be an illustrator. I would say, uh, you know, I didn't know what an illustrator was at the time, so I called myself a drawer. <laughs> I'm going to draw pictures, and I announced it to my mother and father, and they were not happy with it because uh, their thought, I believe, uh, Jennifer, was how can you be what you've never seen before? And it was in the early 60s, and they had not been exposed to artists. They knew about singers. They knew about dancers but they had never seen an, uh, a person who did art. And so uh, you, you're kind of concerned about your child's future. What's going to happen? Are you going to be able to take care of yourself? And so um, it was uh, very awkward for them and very awkward for me because I just knew I loved having crayons and paper and pencils around me. That was the thing it called to me. So That makes me so happy. <laughs> and are they excited now about your your career and your future. (laughs) Absolutely. My father is about the proudest father ever uh, when it comes to my children's books. And, you know, back, back in the day, they spanked you if you drew on the wall, you know, and he says, he he calls me sometimes and he apologizes. He goes, I'm so sorry I spanked you. And have I damaged you in any way? And I'm like, no, dad, I'm I'm good. (laughs) I'm good. Um, My mom has since gone, but, um, I was telling my daughter, one of the sweetest things my mom ever did for me was, uh, as a 16-year-old, as a I was into fashion illustration. And I would draw out designs. And one of the, my favorite shows was watching I Love Lucy. And I loved all those old 50 clothes from the, you know, from the 50s. And I remember designing this dress. And she had a dressmaker put the dress together for me from my illustration. Oh. And they did a fashion show. And it got in this little tiny newspaper in my little town in, of Irvington, New Jersey. And I was just so proud. My mother was proud of me. And I was, you know, she's long gone now. But that, that moment sticks with me all the time. She didn't know how to uh, push me in the direction that I needed to go. But she knew I had talent. And she did the best that she could to help me express that. So. That's so sweet. Aw, do you still have the dress? 
I, I do not have the dress, actually. We, we donated the dress um, many years after that. We donated it. It had Kremlin, and it was a, the most amazing black and white dress from, oh. from the, the Lucy show. I loved it. That sounds so cool. I loved the Lucy show. I loved Lucy show and I loved Dick Van Dyke growing yes, up. Yes, those were my favorites too. <laughs> Me and my best friend would spend like hours doing, cause they had different Dick Van Dyke openers where he would either fall over the ottoman or like yes. go to the side. And we would spend hours tripping over ottomans. Oh my or, God, like, that's hilarious. Where I Love Lucy had this like walk in one of the episodes. Oh my and like we would walk around the whole house doing this weird like, I love Lucy fashion walk. She was amazing. She was amazing. She was amazing. One of my favorite characters. I agree. So then you've always had the art bug. That makes me so excited. And so what were, uh, what were you like growing up? What were your teen years like? Um, well, I will tell you, because I am dyslexic, school has always been this very, 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 very uncomfortable, scary place for me. And I never fit in. I was the awkward black girl, just awkward. Um, and I started school um, somewhere around 1967, 68, 69. Those were the years I started going to preschool. And um, the kind of school that I went to was predominantly white. So I was the only black child in the classroom. And I had a very traumatic experience with one of the teachers who um, was not into integration. Um, she did not want to see a classroom integrated. So it was very um, uncomfortable for both of us. Uh, more so for me because I look to adults as you are the, um, you're the adult, I'm the child. I'm supposed to listen to you. And they'd served the school, uh, they had served the class oatmeal. And I just didn't like oatmeal at the time. And I remember her threatening me and saying, if I didn't eat the oatmeal, that she was going to stick my head in the fish tank. And it scared the life out of me. So it kind of went downhill from there. So I was really afraid of teachers, um, especially teachers that did not look like me. I was afraid of them. And um, when I got into grade school, um, this is where the dyslexia really started to show up. It was scary because I didn't know it had a name. I thought I was dumb. I thought I was stupid. Um, they put me in remedial reading. Um, it was, it was, um, it was painful being, um, kind of pointed out as that's the girl with the problem. She's, she's got the problem. And now you can hear adults whispering, but you can hear children laughing and children can, you know, sometimes be very, very cruel. And so, um, it was, it was just painful. I, I hated it. When I got to high school, it was even worse. Um, now you're in high school. I don't even know how I made it to high school. I think it was my mother and father's prayers that truly got me through high school because um, I was I was mentally unstable, you know, um, because it went into my spirit. It really, it really did. I had, I think, maybe one or two friends in high school. We're still friends to this day. But um, I, I, I tell people often, if you ask me anything about high school, it's almost like there's a mental block there that I've really had to work through because uh, I found out just how cruel people can be, but not just children, how cruel adults can be. 
And to have teachers laugh at you or counselors laugh at you and say, oh, you'll never amount to anything. You'll probably end up being a clerk at a, you know, a, 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 some small business, but you'll never be anything more. But I did have two teachers. I had two great teachers that believed in me, Mr. Snall and Mrs. D. And these two teachers knew that I had a learning difference. And they pushed me in my art like nobody did. They called my mother and father and said, listen, this kid has talent. We want to take her to FIT. And my mother and father didn't know what FIT was about, <laughs> anything like that, where we had the money to send her. And I had an aunt who uh, was a model. Uh, and she would do shows in New York. And she goes, oh, no, I'll take Vanessa to FIT. And she takes me to FIT and my whole world, everything changed. Everything changed. The doors opened. I still cry when I think about Mr. Small and Miss D and my Aunt Annie, that they looked at me and said, you know, we see your talent and we're going to push you in that direction. So. I yeah. love that. <laughs> not the first part. I mean, <laughs> the first part sucks. And yes, I'm not dyslexic, but I, I don't know what I am. But in third grade of my school, you took, and I went to a prep school, and mm -hmm. it was all like, you take it, you, we took a test in third grade, and it was a Scantron, and it's like, this is, and I didn't have, I don't, I don't know if I necessarily had ADHD, or like what, I don't, I don't, and to this day, I don't do well if it's something I don't want to like, yes. learn about, and I don't have the patience or like the mental capacity to take it in. And I don't always have, or I rarely have the mental capacity to take in the things I do want to learn. So like, whatever this test was, I Christmas treat it. And that determined how dumb you were or how smart you were for the rest of your life. So because I Christmas treat a test in third grade, as a 10th grader, my parents went to the school and they're like, can she please get out of like, the dumb kid classes? Yes. Like, and they said, no, she's not like, they're like, we'll give her tutoring. Like, can you put her in like regular classes? Cause I got made fun of a lot and it was a, a rich snobby school. And so nobody, all the kids that were in the classes with me, like didn't, I don't know, but it screwed me up so bad. I didn't know that I wasn't a complete idiot until I was 25. Yes. I yes. thought I was like really dumb. I did too. <sighs> I, I so you don't know Jennifer how I identify with you with what you with all that you just said it's I didn't know what I didn't know I don't want to learn what I don't you know this is this is hard enough for me as it is so when they put Shakespeare in front of me when they put um math in front of me when they put anything that I didn't like you know, um, I'm like, my brain just not had, I don't have the capacity to sit here to listen to you talk about what I don't want to hear. I'm not interested in that. Now, if you put some uh, writing in front of me, anything with letters, um, even though I got them backwards, it was still interesting to me. You know, if you, if you told me stories, I was interested with, you know, in, in storytelling. What I was not interested in was in children laughing at me and adults belittling me because I didn't understand what I didn't understand. That's exactly. It. It's hard. I mean, adolescenthood sucks and it's hard. Yeah. And then you carry it through until you're an adult Absolutely. and maybe, maybe longer if you're un like unlucky, if you don't work through it, but it's like, yes, it's even hard for me to learn. It's so ingrained in me that I, I'm a bad learner. Like, 
that's, I don't learn well. And so even things that are fun, I get so intimidated by, I just don't end up learning, even though I probably should. Um, that's obviously something I should work through, but, <laughs> but, um, we'll work through it together. Okay. Sounds good. You are, you are not a bad learner. You're, you're, not, a bad learner. <laughs> you're not a bad learner. Uh, sometimes we're too hard on our own selves. I think that's what it is. No, that's very true. We're too hard on our own selves. Um, so cut yourself some slack. Okay, thanks. You too. <laughs> Will do. Do you want to talk about a time you fell and got back up again? Oh, absolutely. Um, there's so many. <laughs> um, <laughs> Me too. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Just pick I, one. <laughs> I, I, I will tell you that, um, oh my goodness, because I don't want to get emotional, but but I can't tell a story without get, getting emotional. Hey, um, I'm pregnant. I'll get emotional with you. <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know, as a teenager, when somebody tells you that they don't want to be your friend anymore, and um, it just kind of cuts you at your core, like, what did I do? Um, and at the time, I didn't know that I hadn't done anything. This person was on another journey. And uh, rejection, what I have come to understand about rejection uh, as an older woman is, Rejection sometimes comes to serve you more than it comes to alienate you from people. Rejection can be that indicator that you've outgrown a person or outgrown a situation. And what we want to do is we want to fit in and you're the cog that's not supposed to fit in because if you fit in, you will become comfortable and you will become lazy and you will not go to the place that you're supposed to go to. Sometimes rejection is the motivation to get you out of a place of complacency and move you towards your goal. If you stay here with these people, because this is where mediocrity kind of lives. Mediocrity lives right down here. But if you go up higher, the air is a little bit thin and everybody can't go up higher. And so I found that I had to go up higher. I had to get away from the people who wanted to keep me grounded on the ground. In other words, the chickens, I had to get away from the chickens and go where the eagles were. And eagles soar. Eagles eat chickens. Oh, <laughs> it's true. I'm really that's bad at the circle of life, but that's true. <laughs> they eat chickens. And I'm like, why are you trying to be a chicken? You are not a chicken. You're an eagle. And honestly, in my, in my meditation time, I would hear, and, and I'm a woman of faith, and I'm not telling people I'm a woman of faith, and it doesn't make sense to other people, but I'm a woman of faith. And I would always hear the voice of God say to me, you're not a chicken. You're an eagle. Spread your wings and fly. You're not a chicken, you're an eagle. Spread your wings and fly. And I knew that that meant I wasn't going to be able to talk with them or have relationship with them, that they wouldn't want to hear me. I wouldn't want to probably even hear them because it was always negative, 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 negative. And what I've learned is if you meet negativity with negativity, that's what you're going to get. If you meet positivity with positivity, and even if you meet negative, if you meet positivity, with um, uh, or encounter negativity, be positive. It'll change it. It'll, it'll change the frequency of it. And it has to change. It has to change because you decided to change. And the moment that I decided to change, Jennifer, everything changed. The people that didn't want it, I, okay, this is good. It's freeing me up. I'm getting away from the people that are wanting to hold me down. And that's, and that's a good thing. That's a good thing. No, it's all really good. I do like chickens, though, but I understand the analogy. <laughs> if you're going to be a chicken, be a strong chicken. 
I'm gonna be the strongest chicken. That's it. Be the strongest. <laughs> be, be a be a um. How can I say it? A wart chicken. Chicken. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. It's funny because I've been asking. I mean, I can't have eagles. That's illegal. Um, but I've been asking my husband for chickens for seven years, and I figure oh, eventually he'll give me chickens. Oh, <laughs> give her chickens. Give her chickens. Give me chickens. The chickens will give you eggs for the baby. I know, right? <laughs> and fresh eggs are so much better than the yes, store-bought ones. Absolutely. There's nothing like going out to the hen house and getting chicken eggs, fresh eggs. I did it as a child, so love it. So then, um... Was so, oh goodness. Um, so, because you mentioned rejection and changing friendships, that's really hard. That's probably really overwhelming. I don't know what mm -hmm. age bracket that was necessarily. But then, when you were going through all that, uh, was there someone or something that's helped you get through that hard time or helped you get through other types of rejections? I will, I will tell you, music um, has gotten me through so many different things. Music is a friend to me, it is the biggest friend to me. Um, because it understands me, it, it, it feels me, and it fills me. Um, I love music uh, because if I'm happy, I'm playing it. If I am uh, sad, I'm playing it. If I am confused, I'm playing it all the time. It is a constant friend. And um, it's gotten me through some really, 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 really dark days is uh, putting an album on and listening to Carly Simon or listening to um, Stevie Wonder or the Gap Band or uh, Parliament uh, and the Funkadelics. Um, music is very, very powerful to me in that it's healing as well. And uh, as a singer, I'm a, a jazz singer and a gospel singer. Um, those frequencies, they get into my body and they get into my soul. And um, I call it soul healing in, in, in the best way uh, because the chords just kind of just wash over me and make me feel better. I, I, I can put on a song and instantly it will change my frequency and I will start to feel better. But um, the one friend that really has gotten me through, I will say is my little sister, Koi. Koi has walked me through some very, very dark days. And even as we began to get older and in our 20s, we kind of drifted off from each other, but then came back in our 30s. And we're still at 53 uh, and 54. We're inseparable. She's my best friend. And she has talked me off lots of bridges for a uh, sister who's younger than me. She's given me such sage wisdom. Uh, in conversation and uh, yeah, it, it, it's coy, coy and music, the two. Yeah, that's such a blessing. It's so like, it's so nice to have a sibling you're close to. Absolutely, it is. It really is, and I understand that everybody doesn't have that, but I, I have been blessed to have a sibling uh, that understands me and gets me and gives me sage advice every single time. So, if you were having, I'm veering off topic a little bit. If you were having a bad day. Or a moment, what song would you put on? Oh my goodness. Um, and it might change. Last, well, I, I, I will tell you, there's so many, but um, uh, one is Prince, Happy Feet. I love this song. I, I, I tell my husband and my daughter all the time when I pass and I'm over in the next life, the ceremony, I said, you guys have to play as they carry me out, Happy Feet. 
<laughs> it is my favorite song. It makes me cry every time I think about it because the words, you might make mistakes. Oh yeah, maybe not one or two or three. That doesn't make you any lesser good as me. You know, th those things like that. It's those types of words and those types of phrases that stick with me on really, really bad days, you know, that we all have a heart song. And I'm gonna sing my heart song. So I don't know if you need some more songs, but <laughs> this morning was rough. And so I like to listen to the Matilda soundtrack, the Broadway version. Yes, yes. And then there's a song of When I Grow Up and it, it's so good. And so uh, that was playing on repeat this morning. I'm like, okay, gotta feel better. Like, <laughs> I love it, I love it. Oh, that's, that's awesome. It's like, just because they tell you life's not fair, it doesn't mean that you just have to grin and bear it. Mm. If you're, I forget the words, but it's like, oh, I don't remember. I just know the tune. Yeah, but that's it. The, the words are in your heart, though. That's it's, it. And sometimes those songs are so fantastic. I oh. know. It's so good. It's basically like, just because what you're served isn't what you want to be served doesn't mean that you can't change your life. That's right. That's powerful. That's a powerful message right there. It's a good yes. musical. If you've never yes. seen it, save up money and go see it. It's so good. I don't know if it's still on, but it was so good. I, I'm taking your advice. Absolutely. Yes, go see it. Woohoo. <laughs> so then you talked about illustrating as a child and then going to FIT and fashion illustration. So then how did you go from fashion illustrations to what you're doing now? Um, in the 80s, when I was in uh, college at FIT, um, there weren't a whole lot of openings for illustrators um, at, at the time, while illustration was really, really, really big back then because this whole photography thing, you know, hadn't really um, taken off as far as fashion was concerned. You had fashion magazines, but most of the ads that you saw for like the Almonds, Macy's and Gimbel's, Bamberger's, um, Lord and Taylor's, those were illustrated, you know, illustrations. So you'd see them in a the newspaper. And one store that was very, very popular back then was Bertolf Good Goodman's. And they had this awesome illustrator named Stabrino. Now, Stabrino had been working there probably since he was a teenager. And the only way that you were going to get in as an illustrator is you would be his apprentice and you would have to be an apprentice for a very, very long time. And there was another illustrator that came along. His name was Antonio. Antonio has since died. But um, trying to get a job in fashion was just hard. You weren't going to get a job there. And um, I remember my mom and dad saying, you need to get a job. And so I worked as a phlebotomist for 25 years. What is that? A phlebotomist draws blood. That's what they oh, do. Oh, okay. They draw your blood. We were called vampires. <laughs> <laughs> but... Um, um, I worked in a hospital for 25 years, and, and I dealt with babies with AIDS, children with AIDS, uh, cancer patients, geriatric patients. And I had all these patients that were inside of me, and uh, especially with, where, where the ch children were concerned, uh, because I worked with children with AIDS and cancer. And so a lot of them did not make it because we didn't have the medicine that we have now. A lot of them did not make it, and I had to find a way to memorialize them. And so I started taking notebooks and filling those notebooks with these children. And I would give them a second life. So all of them would have another place to go to. So I didn't have to cry over them. I could tell a story about them, do an illustration of them. And I would have them in 
my memory forever, but in a happier place. And I had this stack of notebooks at the end and got married, had Zoe, um, started taking some classes in children's book illustration. And that was at the request of one of my professors said, you know, you capture people so well and you capture the joy that's in them. Did you ever think about becoming a children's book illustrator? I don't want to be a children's book illustrator. That's not going to, yeah. It's not going to pay bills or whatever. Um, I was wrong. <laughs> I, was, I was wrong. I was wrong. Um, I fell in love with children's books, reading to Zoe. And in my own dyslexic way, finding ways to read books. I would only buy books sometimes that had rhymes to them because they were easier for me to read. And um, I remember buying The Snowy Day, and that kind of really set it off for me again. The first time I was introduced to Snowy Day, I was in Mrs. Russell's class, and she knew that I had a learning difference. And she sat me on her lap, and you got to excuse me if I get emotional, but she sat me on her lap, and she read to me The Snowy Day. I don't ever remember the pictures, but I rem I, the words rather, but I remember the pictures. And the pictures were so... They're still indelibly imprinted on my brain. A little brown boy that looked like me. And so it validated to me that I was alive and that I existed. Because for a long time, I felt invisible, like nobody could see me. And that Ezra Jack Keats saw me was so powerful to me. And I knew at that moment, I wanted to be a children's book illustrator. I didn't know what it was called, but I knew what I wanted wanted to be. I wanted to make other children feel the way he made me feel. And so uh, going back to that moment, literally having that moment, like <laughs> remember in Rat uh, Ratatouille, when the, the critic is sitting at the table and he's having Ratatouille, and he goes all the way back <laughs> into, into his childhood. That's what the book did for me. And I knew right then what I wanted to do. I said, I'm going to go and put a portfolio together of all the children's illustrations in my head and I started taking these courses at SVA and I fell in love with my teacher Sergio Risser who was also a children's book illustrator Monica Wellington who was also a children's book illustrator uh, these people had such an impact on me becoming a, a children's book illustrator that's when it changed for me just fell in love with the books all over again it was amazing amazing how, how long ago was that that was 2000, right after Zoe was born. So 2000, yeah. Have yeah. you seen that the snowy day is on, I think it's on either Amazon Prime or Netflix now? Oh, absolutely. I've watched it at least 15 Oh my times. gosh. It's so gorgeous. <laughs> it's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. It's, it's so wonderful to see Peter come to life. And I think what's so powerful about this, uh, the, the, the snowy day was when Ezra did it, 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 it was during a very confrontational time in, in America where civil rights were being violated and black people were being sprayed with hoses and beaten with, 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 with clubs and different things. But he, he lived in the ghetto and he saw little black boys, little brown boys and little yellow boys playing in front of his house. And they became his muses to tell this wonderful story about just a little boy that didn't happen, he just happened to be black. But this little boy having a day in the snow, and if you live on the East Coast, or you live anywhere in the Midwest, you're gonna get snow. 
And you're going to hope that there is a school calls and says, you don't have to go to school today because there's snow. And your mother or your father or your parents will put on your snowsuit and you will get to go outside and play in the snow. Simple as that. That's the beauty of the snowy day. That is the whole beauty of it. Simple story about a little boy having fun in the snow. And it's so pretty. Even the snow in it is so pretty. It's rainbow colored. Like... And the blues and the purples. Oh my goodness. I was like, we just found it too. And I was just transfixed. And I, yes. I feel like I was supposed to be making breakfast and I was just staring at the TV. Like, <laughs> I can't stop. And there's so many like different people in it. Like he did. Oh, it's so pretty. It's a, it's a beautiful book. It's one of my favorite books I have over. I now, because of uh, uh, a very good friend of mine, um, Kendra, uh, who's in publishing at uh, Penguin House, sent me a anniversary copy of the snowy day and i just cried when i saw it just cried my eyes out i have now 27 copies of the snowy day oh my goodness i, I pick them up ratty uh, covers torn off of them <laughs> crinkled up written on crayon <laughs> i just love this book i collect them every time everywhere i go i get a, i get a copy that's so oh. exciting <laughs> Oh, that's such like, um, my brain said like a nice memorial of the book. It's not a memorial, but like it's, I can't think of the right word. I'm blaming being pregnant. <laughs> that's it. You are loud. You are loud. <laughs> and so how have all of your experiences made you who you are today? And then have they impacted your choices or your personality or how you treat people? They've obviously impacted what you do for a living. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, coming from a very, very strict household uh, uh, as far as church was concerned, but it was a house of love. My mother and father took in everybody. When I tell you everybody, Jennifer, I mean everybody. Um, we had the blind that came to stay with us. We had the geriatrics that come, uh, came to stay with us. We had the foreigners from other countries. We had African students that came and were going to um, the universities here, New York University. We had uh, the mentally ill, the physically challenged, you name it. We had everybody that stayed with us. My mother just had a heart that way. She cared about people and she didn't care what color you were, what religion you were, um, your sexual orientation. None of those things bothered my mother. She just loved people. And I got that example firsthand. So having that example of course, like when I told you about the school thing, when I go to school and I see this white teacher who's not treating me like the white people that I know at home, it, it kind of threw me. It really did. It kind of traumatized me. Like, oh, this, this is what this is. And so um, how it changed me is as I got older and I started working in a hospital, I grew such a love for people. It was just amazing. The love. I would have some of the most hateful people. I've been called out of my name several times by, by um, different people, excuse me for the phone ringing <laughs> in the office, but um, I've had uh, people that called me out of my name. I've had patients who were nasty, spat, spat at me, all kinds of things that could have made me mean and evil and uh, you just want to be, you know, um, you want to you just give it back to them the way they gave it to you. But the older I got, the more love I just started feeling. And the more I started loving myself, that was key. The more I loved myself, the more I found myself loving other people. And I mean, loving them hard. I mean, truly loving them hard. 
to the point where, what do you need? What kind of encouraging word can I give to you? And I know a lot of people's hearts are not there. And it, it, it didn't happen overnight, but it happened. And now at 54 years old, I'm loving harder than I've ever loved before. Uh, as my sister tells me often, she said, you have less in front of you than you do behind you. So my joy is to spread this love and to spread it in my artwork. And so people constantly tell me, uh, with tears sometimes, you make me feel some kind of way. That's what I, I, I hear all the time. Your artworks makes me feel. How do you put that in there? Well, it's through meditation. It's through my music. It's through me loving me. It's through me seeing people with clear eyes now. I'm not just looking at your skin. I'm looking at your soul. Where is your soul? And there's so many hurting souls. Oh, my God. Just people who are in a bad place. And some of it is because they, they've not forgiven themselves. They don't know how to forgive themselves. They don't know how to love themselves. You can't give what has not been given to you. So if you haven't been loved or you haven't been accepted, you don't know how to do that for other people. And we ask people sometimes to give us what was never given to them. So I'm in this place of constant learning how to love people and how to love them from a pure stream, so to speak. And you don't have to do anything for me. All you have to do is be you. And even you and your brokenness still deserves to be loved. That's it. And so that's my motto. It's in every paint stroke. It's in every pin stroke, every piece of collage. That's what's there. And so that's what I'm giving to people. I like you so much. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> You're so magic. <laughs> oh, I don't know how magical I really am, but I'm, 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 I'm trying to be the best Vanessa that I can be. Well, you're an amazing Vanessa to me. <laughs> so I found you through the Bob Marley book. Yes. So how cool was it to put music and art together? That must have been so cool. Listen, you who play a ukulele, like, <laughs> like, like, like in a Hawaiian princess, you are amazing. You are amazing. And so I will tell you that music and art for me go together. They're like peanut butter and jelly, salt and pepper, um, uh, hair and head. <laughs> they, go they go together. So I just, um, it is such a part of me that I can't get away from it. I'm looking at writing children's books now, but putting songs with it um, for those who may be struggling with dyslexia. And maybe if you get the lyrics, it'll help you read the words. No, that's and, perfect. Yeah. I, I really want to do that. That's, that's one of my biggest things now is to do recorded books for, for, for children. I want them to feel the love. You know, that when, when I'm illustrating it, I want them to hear my voice. So. No, I love that idea, <laughs> especially because the rhyming helped you so much. And so songs are just easier to like pick up. Very much, very much. You, you, if you strike the right chords, and right tune, it will stay in your head forever. Mm -hmm. You know, right, and, and that's what I want to do. I want to, I want to strike a chord with them that when they're thirty-five years old and they're having a bad day at work, I remember a song that Miss Vanessa sang. <laughs> I love that. I love it. So one of the things I'm notorious. Should I even say this? So one of the things I'm notorious for doing is I sing a lot of Sesame Street type stuff. So one of my, <laughs> I love to jazz, sing Rubber Ducky. 
Yes. Oh my goodness. Isn't it awesome? <laughs> yes, because you can make any song sound like a pretty song, even if it's yes. like about a rubber duck in a bathtub. <laughs> okay, girl, you and I have to spend some time together. We have to do something recorded together. I would love I that. I feel the same exact way. I mean, um, you know, we, we sing the itsy bitsy spider. When, but when you jazz it up, the itsy bitsy spider went up the water's spout. Down came the rain and it washed Mr. Spider out. Out came the sun and it dried up all the rain. And the itsy bitsy spider went up the spout again, 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 again. You can just take it. That's <laughs> so pretty. Zoom boom to the moon. <laughs> <laughs> so I told my parents I was pregnant by singing them You Are My Sunshine. Did you see that online? No! But I changed the lyrics. <laughs> it was, there is, wait, there's something growing inside my belly. There is a baby inside of me. <laughs> there is an alien inside my belly. So please come and hug me now. <laughs> oh, I love it. Get, okay, you're going to make me cry. <laughs> That's fantastic. That is fantastic. Okay, okay, you need to record that for other people to tell. <laughs> I know it's your personal song, but that, that's pretty awesome. That's pretty awesome. And to this day, my mom is like, you waited so long to tell me, but I didn't want to tell her over the phone because we don't live near each other. And oh. I, I knew I wanted to, I wrote that song. Like months before you were trying to get pregnant. I could like we were at an Airbnb in Canada and I couldn't sleep. And I was like, I wrote a song, I have to write it down. So it's like midnight and I'm like creeping out of this guy's house to go get my not his house, like his room to get my phone and write down this like lyrics to sing oh when God. we get pregnant one day. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is the sweetest. I'm I'm just saying that that's a greeting card, that's a storybook, that's something. <laughs> I love that is precious. Thank you. Yay. So how can people find you online and what are you working on? And just tell everybody everything. Okay, so um you can find me at vanessabrantleynewton.com or if you want to friend me on uh Facebook, it's Vanessa Newton. Uh look for the little girl with the drummer in the background. And um I am working on so many books right now. I'm working on an awesome book with uh, my friend Derek Barnes, and it's called King of Kindergarten. And it is about his little boy named Nambi. And Nambi goes to kindergarten, and, and he has an awesome day. He is excited about it. And so we talk about his challenges and how he makes friends, and uh, we're, we're excited about that one. Uh, Derek just won um, several awards for an awesome book that he did called Crown. And so um, this is an ode to his son, um, Nambi, and we're, we're excited about that. Uh, I am also working on another book called Mama's Work Shoes. <laughs> and uh, I am also working on my own book. Uh, as a child, Jennifer, I loved, loved, loved Madeline. Loved Madeline. The problem was Madeline had a friend named Pepito, but she never had a black friend. So I was like, why didn't she have a black friend? So um, Nancy Paulson from uh, Penguin Books uh, just signed me about over a year ago about uh, a little book called 
uh, Jewel, and Jewel is the black version of Madeline. That's so awesome. So it reads a little like this. Uh, in an old house in Harlem that had many stairs, lived six little sisters with braids in their hair. And so I'm going to leave it right there. <laughs> but uh, I'm excited about this book. I'm so very, very excited about this book. Um, I'll be doing more speaking engagements um, as I just did a TED talk last year. So um, I have lots of colleges and school visits and things like that, but uh, I'm looking to tell stories that will uh, uh, infect, infect um, our society with lots and lots and lots of love, lots of joy, that everything don't have to be sad and everything does not have to be uh, politicized and all all this other, I don't, I don't even want to get into that. Um, uh, right now, I'm not even willing to sexualize a child. I want a child to understand that you're loved, that we are here for you, that we're glad you came. <laughs> we're glad you're here. And so I want to give that to children. I want them to enjoy their childhood and I want to be a part of them enjoying their childhood. So when are you coming to Florida? <laughs> uh, when do you want me to come to Florida? Hello? Uh, tomorrow. <laughs> There's still time to get on a plane today, I think. There's still time to get on a plane today. I don't, I don't think my husband's going to like it, but... It's okay. He can come. We, we're in the middle of doing taxes. Yeah. Oh, all right. Then wait, wait till taxes are over. That's like three weeks and then come over. I'm actually coming. I was supposed to be coming to Florida for my family reunion. Uh, unfortunately, I'm going to be in Detroit uh, at um, the Illustrators uh, Conference. So, That's the opposite of Florida. That's I, higher. What? <laughs> I will come to Florida. Okay. On your invite, I will come to Florida. Yay. And by then, ow. Uh, yes. By then, the thing in my stomach that's pushing me right now will be in the world. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I'll get, I'll get a chance to hold a baby. Yeah. I'll look forward to that. Yes. Well, yay. I, I know you're a busy lady, and I am so happy we got to talk. And today's your mom's birthday, right? I'm sorry? Today's your mom's birthday. Today is mommy's birthday. I meant to mention that at the beginning of the episode, because I will say that I asked Vanessa a few months ago and then the day we decided on what happened to be your mom's birthday and I thought that was so awesome. Yes, it is mom's birthday. She'll be, um, she would have been 70, 78. Um, she is happy where she is. I know she is. And I know she's looking down on me. So happy birthday, mommy. Love you. Yay. Well, thank you for taking the time to talk to me. Oh, I know you're busy. And I love talking to you, and I was so excited to talk to you. Yes, ma'am. We have to have conversations offline. I would very much like that. Yes, I would love that, too. I would love <laughs> that, too. And I wish you a blessed birth. Enjoy every moment of not knowing what to do. Oh, goodness. Enjoy. You're going to be fine. Your family's going to be there with you. I just wish you all the love and joy and peace in the world, sweetie. Thank you. Yay. You're welcome. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it. If you liked the episode, please subscribe or even better, leave a review. It makes iTunes really happy and hopefully makes them share this podcast with other people, which would make me really happy. If you have any ideas for topics to cover or for people you'd like me to interview, please email me. My email address is in the show notes. And thank you again. Have a great day.